welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We are so glad that you are joining us today. We hope this message inspires you, builds your faith, and encourages you in the things of the Lord. Enjoy the message. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Good evening, church. I hope you're all well this evening. God is so good. He's so faithful. You know, I was worshiping. I've been, I've been worshiping a lot today, spending a lot of time. I've been listening to the new Elevation kind of old church basement album, and it's been touching me. It's been touching me. I've just been sitting, just listening to some of these lyrics, you know, and, and, and some of these beautiful truths about Jesus and what he's done. And I just want to encourage you, even before we kind of open up the word today and begin to look at what God would say to us, that worship is a weapon for you and for me. Worship is a weapon. Worship is a sanctuary and a safe place where we can meet the Lord right where we're at. Isn't it beautiful? We would just open our mouth and start to sing truths, eternal truths. And he, the king of ages, the rock of ages, comes to meet us wherever we are. It's tremendous, isn't it? Isn't it funny? I want to encourage you. Don't let your circumstance mute your praise. Amen. Don't let your circumstance mute your praise. Sing to the Lord. He loves to dwell. The Bible says, that, that he dwells in the praises or on the praises of his people or he's enthroned on the praises of his people. So when we enthrone him or when we recognize where he really is, there's liberty and there's freedom. Amen and amen and amen. I think Andy dropped his, his glasses. <laughs> it's okay, you don't need them. Okay, should we pray? <laughs> could, could have been a mic drop. <laughs> I wish it was a mic drop. <laughs> okay, folks, well, we just pray together. Amen. Let's pray. Why don't you lift your hands in faith? Let's at the beginning, at the beginning of things tonight. Lord Jesus, all we need, you're all we need. You're all we need, Lord. It's all we need, Lord, just to lift up your praises, Lord, to lift up a hallelujah, to acknowledge your goodness and your mercy, Lord that has followed us up till this point and will be our portion throughout this life, Lord, just to thank you for your love and your goodness, Lord. It doesn't have to be a long prayer. You don't have to be educated to say, to say it even, Lord, but from a full heart to open up and just thank God for who he is. Lord, I pray your praise would always be on our lips. Always. Always, Lord, no matter what is going on in life, no matter what is in front of us, help us see the God who is above us and the God who is inside of us and the God who has taken us from the miry clay and set our feet on a rock. I just pray today, Lord, that you would speak through your word. It's your word. I'm, I'm up here. Uh, I have nothing to offer these people. Uh, Lord Jesus, uh, the only ability I have is availability at this moment. So I just pray that you would speak to your people. Lord, we pray that we would hear truth and the gospel would touch lives and people's heads would be lifted and elevated to see you again clearly, Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray that we 
would leave with your praises on our lips. In Jesus' name. And I just pray for freedom and liberty, Lord, today. Bring it out of me, Lord. Only you can do it by your grace. And we all said amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. Folks, today I want to talk to you about putting down your past. Talk to you about putting down your past. And the Lord, the Lord put this on my heart a few weeks ago. And he brought me to a passage in Joshua. Joshua chapter 5. And uh, for anybody who's unfamiliar with the Bible or with the book of Joshua, the Bible teaches that the children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt for four generations. So if you're wondering what a generation is according to the Bible, it's actually a hundred years. So for 400 some and some years and change years, the Israelites were in Egypt and they were slaves, okay? So they went down from Canaan and Isaac, or sorry, Israel and his family, uh, the 12 kind of patriarchs, there were 72 of them. And by the time uh, God raised up a redeemer to save them out of Egypt, there were more Israelites than there were Egyptians, Okay, so the Bible says that God raised up Moses and Moses went and through and, and was God's instrument to see a deliverance come to God's people, to God's chosen people. And God leads them through the desert and brings them to the promised land, the land that he promised Abraham that he would give them by inheritance. Okay, so that is a, a really, really quick kind of blow by of what goes on in the book of Joshua. But I, I want to pick it up in chapter 5. And before I do, I want to just give you kind of an overview of what we're doing tonight. I want to talk about putting down your past. And I want to look at two groups of people. I want to look at the Israelites and I also want to look at the Corinthians. Okay, and both were living with their past, dealing with their past. Okay, and I, I want to look in particular tonight at three things that God has done to take away the reproach of the past, okay? So we'll get into that. Um, So let's just read, and and I want to, I guess, just read from um, verse 8, I suppose. Well, no, let's do from verse 6. And the children of Israel, they're in Canaan now. Canaan is a type of Christ, okay? A type of inheritance, if you want. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. So folks, when you read about their story, their journey through the wilderness, okay, it's a beautiful picture of salvation. The generation that left Egypt died in the wilderness because they wouldn't rise up in faith and take hold of what was theirs by inheritance. So they died in the wilderness. They died not rising up and stepping into all that God had for them. Okay, and I want you to know something else at this point. They were circumcised when they left Egypt. So that's an important thing to understand. Circumcision in the Bible, circumcision at this time, was a a, a kind of a picture of belonging. It was the way God showed that a people belonged to him. It signified a covenant relationship. So you had to be circumcised to be in relationship with God. You had to be circumcised to get the inheritance that God had for you, okay? So here we go in verse 6. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the voice of the Lord. The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. So it was their children. 
And this is the generation Joshua was speaking to, whom he raised up in their place that Joshua circumcised. So there's a second, circ- second circumcision going on at this point. Okay, For they were circumcised because they had not been circumcised on the way. So I want you to get this into your head if you can. There is a generation of people who are walking around and they are not circumcised. They've not come into covenant relationship with God because of what the generation previous had done to them. So they were carrying the shame of Egypt according to not, not their own behavior per se, but the generation that came before them. And, and here's where I really want to land, okay? Verse 8, when the circumcising of the whole nation was finished, they remained in their place in the camp until uh, they were all healed. And look at verse 9. And the Lord said to Joshua, today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. And if you have a pen, will you underline that? Because that's really what we're going to look at tonight. God has rolled away. God said to those people who were walking around with shame, the shame of their past, he said, today I'm rolling away the reproach of Egypt from you. And the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. So I want to leave it there for a second. And I want to break this down a little bit more. So I want to look at this idea of the reproach of Egypt. The reproach of Egypt is the shame of a former life. That's what it is. And that's what that whole group of people were walking under. The shame of a former life, okay? And God's solution was circumcision. We're going to explore this later on. But I want to make a point here, uh, church. Before God's people, okay, who were in Christ could begin to take the land, they had to lay their past to rest. Okay, so before they could begin to win victories in Canaan and walk in their God-given inheritance, they had to lay, they, God had to do something to put their past to bed, okay? So they, they couldn't come into Canaan with the chains of Egypt. A- Egypt is a picture of the world, and those chains were a picture of slavery, of what they'd come through. That reproach of Egypt, it's slavery and oppression. It was a picture even of disobedience. So I need you to, I need you to kind of see that, folks. They were carrying around shame, and yet God wanted to bring them into an inheritance. They were in Christ, yet they were still ashamed of their past yet God had something better for them they were living in the shame of the old when God wanted to do something new okay they were free but they were still carrying the guilt free but guilty still still living with the shame of a former life or identity carrying the failures of those who went before them right and I want to say this folks If you're going to rise up and possess your inheritance in God, the past is to be cut away. God has to do something with your past. Okay, and the problem with shame is that it it really feels like a sense of unworthiness. It's a sense of unworthiness. And I want you to know, and I believe God has put it on my heart to tell you, you don't have to live with a sense of unworthiness. You don't have to let the past frame your future. Okay, you have a glorious inheritance and it's by birthrights, by the new birth. You've been born again. You are in Christ. You have an inheritance in God. Okay, is the past an excuse when people start to speak to you and point to your potential in God? Do you point to your past? Well, you don't know what I've been through. 
You don't know what they did to me. You don't know what, you don't know what they did to me. Am I speaking to somebody tonight? Oh, I could rise. I understand all that. I understand the promises of God are yes and amen. But this person did this to me in the past. And so I can't rise up and take the land that I've been put in by grace. He's saved me wonderfully. He's done wondrous things in my life to bring me this far. But instead of embracing my future, I'm pointing to the past. And the Lord today, I believe, would say it's time to put your past down because there are victories in Canaan for you and there are victories in Canaan for me. I love this. Look at verse 9. It says, today, today, I'm taking the shame of your past from you. Today. Today, Bible says in Hebrews, today is the day of salvation. There is a work of God. God, you, listen, we can't free ourselves from our past, right? We can't be anything more than what we are. We were born into something, and the only way we can be free of it is to be born into something else. Do you remember in John chapter 3, Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, what is flesh is flesh. What is spirit is spirit. You must be born again. And folks, a lot of us have turned the born again experience into really just, I don't know whether it's just, just behavior modification or, you know, it's me minus some bad habits. It is an entirely new you. Amen? An entirely new you. And until we can grasp that, we are still, we are going to carry around a past that God has broken us free from. Okay, so God has broken us free from it. We can't drag it along through the desert and into Christ and expect to wield the sword of freedom with the chains of Egypt around our wrists. It doesn't work that way. But hallelujah, God has said today, I'm taking it from you. Today, I'm taking, if you're watching this and you are defining yourself by your past, if you can't get beyond the identity that your past has given you, today, know for certain God is saying, I am taking it from you. You can't free yourself from it any more than those, any more than those Israelites could break their own chains and walk out of Egypt and give Pharaoh a salute on the way out. It had to be a divine work from beginning to end. So you've got land to take. You've got an inheritance that's yours by grace and God is going to set you free so that you can win, folks. You can win and stand in it. You cannot, your past, you, you can't bring the past with you. Your past cannot be a stumbling block. God has done something to cut away your unworthiness. Your past will not, cannot exclude you from your inheritance in him. Your shame has no place in him. Has no place in him. Guilt, rejection, and unworthiness, feelings of unworthiness, are the enemies of expectation. What do I mean by that? I mean that when you're carrying guilt, when you're carrying rejection, and when you're carrying a sense of unworthiness, you cannot expect good things from God. You can't. You can't. How can you believe from your, for your future when you're hung on your past? Everything that was yours in the first birth is cut away by the second birth. I could never be any more than what I was born into. We were born into brokenness and we need to be born again. Amen? 
and what I love about this, like, like I worked in Bandon for years. Uh, I worked in a youth cafe with kids, and I remember working with kids that were 12 years old, and they used to come to me and tell me that they had to drag, they had to carry their parents um, uh, out of the pub. Um, you know, uh, their parents were alcoholics, and these kids were 10 years old, pulling their parents out of pubs and carrying them home. And, and I worked in that place long enough to see those kids become alcoholics as well. And folks, what I love about this is that the Israelites, they carried around shame that was passed on to them by their parents, by the generation that came before them. And, and, and yet, here in the gospel, generational patterns of sin and behavior are broken. You, don't, you are not your father. You are not your mother. You are not bound to their fate. You are not. It's what I love. You're not half your mom and half your dad. You are a new creation. Amen? That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. You are not your biology. You are, I said you're not your biology. You're not, you're, you're not your father's short temper. You're not your mother's mouth. You're not those things. You're a new creation in Christ. You don't have to only expect what you saw from the generation previous. You don't have to do that. That's not your inheritance. That's not what the word of God is saying. There was a generation that passed away in the desert and yet God would do something new with their children. That first, that generation, they didn't, and listen, maybe I'm speaking to somebody tonight and you've been your parents, those people in, in your life, they said you'd never amount to anything, you'd never go anywhere, you'd never become anything anything. Well, that's exactly what the generation before this generation in Joshua's time said. They said, well, it will be our children that would die in the wilderness. Our children aren't going to make it. That's what they said. That's what they spoke over their children. And yet God was saying, uh-uh, I have a different plan. I have a different strategy. I have, I'm going to do something new in you, in spite of your biology, in spite of your last name, in spite of where you've come from. I'm doing something new in you. I'm not bound to your biology. I'm not bound to your postcode, to your socioeconomic status. I'm not bound to any of those things. I've purposed and my will, my my will will come to pass in your life. The past is no excuse. It's no excuse. And I want to get to the meat of what we're going to talk about tonight because God has done three amazing things that we can, we can stand in and enjoy liberty and freedom from our past. Look at this here. Look at this. I'm going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. What I love about the Bible is that truths are born out. You see the same truths appearing over and over again. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul is speaking to the Corinthian church. Um, there are probably four Corinthian letters, of which we have two. Uh, it, kind of the correspondence worked like they would ask Paul questions. Paul would send answers. And we've got the responses, but we don't have the questions. Um, God knows what he's doing. Amen. It couldn't make the grade for scripture. Um, it's weird, it feels like it's harder to flick through my Bible with one hand. <laughs> Bear with me. First Corinthians chapter 6. Okay, here we go. I'm going to go from verse 9. Corinth was a port city. Affluence, money, idolatry, 
every kind of vice you could think of. So the Corinthian church, it was a motley crew of people. They came from all walks of life, all patterns of behavior. And look at this, verse 9. Paul says this, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And look at this. Look at this. And such were some of you. Wow. Wow. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Remarkable. Remarkable. Paul could look and look at a people that came from every walk of life, every strata, every pattern of living, and say, you were this, but now you're, you're a new thing because of what God has done. It's tremendous. That, see, the problem was the Corinthians had carried over their former mindsets and practices into Christ. They began thinking like they were still in Egypt, even though they were in Christ. And they, start, they, they kept on with that old mentality, of sl that slave mentality when God had made them sons. They had freedom, but they weren't walking in it. And folks, look at what Paul says here. He gives a list and look at what he says. These, the, these patterns of life, they do not, there is no inheritance if you live that way. There is no pathway. They are not a pathway to what, the God, what only the gospel can give you. They are not a pathway to life. This list is not a pathway to life. There is no life in theft. There is no life in slander, greed, idolatry, homosexuality, or anything else on this list. They do not give you peace or joy or purpose. There is no inheritance in those things. Paul says, if you walk this way in this kind of a wilderness, there is no inheritance for you. But listen to what he says here. They don't give you a hope for the future. But... Here comes, here comes Jesus. Here are the Corinthians in this passage, in this place, living this way. And Jesus, God comes to them. In the way he visited Israel in Egypt, God visited the Corinthians and brought them into new life. Listen, he found you in your chains and he called you by name. That's the salvation we sing about, that we believe in. He renewed you. And I want you to, I want you to hear this. If you want liberty from your past so that you can walk in and touch and live in the inheritance that's yours in Christ, you must be renewed. You must be renewed. It must be renewal. Once you were slaves, Paul says, to wilderness living. That's what I'm calling that list. It's wilderness living. Wandering, never in inheritance, never coming into belonging, looking for acceptance. There's nothing at the end of those pathways. Yet in Christ, we have been renewed. And there's three things I want to look at them. They're amazing to me because they, they strike at the heart of what our past can, of the, of the, they strike at the heart of shame that can come from our past. First is washed. 
And I want to look at this idea of washing as being how God breaks the power of guilt. That's what it is, washing. Because when you look at that word in the Greek, it is, it is to be washed with the blood or to be washed uh, in a way that takes away sin. So it's to be washed it's, uh, in a way that uh, takes away sin and breaks the power of guilt. And it's by the blood. You, me, we have been washed by the blood of Jesus. Amen? We've been washed by his blood. And I want to look very quickly at a passage, and it's in um, uh, uh, second of First John, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it just for the sake of time. Uh, and, and just before I touch on it, I want to just quickly talk to you about the book of Hebrews. Read verses nine, chapters nine and ten. Read about, read, read them carefully. The writer tells us that it is the sprinkling of blood, God, the God sprinkling our consciences with His blood that that takes away the guilt that would otherwise stop us serving Him. That's basically what it says in Hebrews, that God sprinkles our hearts with his blood so that we don't, we're freed from a guilty conscience so that we can serve God. So how can you serve God if you feel guilty about what you've done? How can you serve God if you feel, if you're always conscious of your performance when you should be conscious of Christ's performance for you? Okay, so in, in 1 Corinthians, or in 1 John 2, John writes this, 2 verse 1, he says, Dear children, I write to you that you may not sin, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen? Right? So if you do fail, if you do fail, okay, you have an advocate with Christ, uh, with God, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And then he says he is the propitiation, for, not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And I want to break this down for a second. I want you to imagine a courtroom. I want you to imagine a courtroom drama or a courtroom. And John is saying this, when we fail, when we sin in, in, in Christ, if you like, okay, there's, there's, we, we imagine you're on the docks and, and, and there's, there's the judge, the, the father is the judge, if you like, and there's always a prosecuting lawyer and there's always a defense lawyer, right? John is saying that Christ is our defense lawyer. He's arguing for us when we fail. He's not against you, he's for you. He's not pointing to your past to say you're not worthy. Instead, his argument before the father is, Father, look at the sacrifice I've made for them. He points to the blood. That's what it means. Father, I've made a sacrifice. My blood has satisfied you. Look at my blood and don't look at them. That's literally the argument. That's what John is saying. Jesus is making an argument for you. Don't look at what they've done. Look at what I've done. Don't look at how they failed. Look at what I did to cover their failure. And the Bible says that uh, what a propitiation really means is that it satisfies the deity. So God is satisfied with that argument. I don't have to live with a guilty conscience I can serve him without feeling like I am unworthy. He's satisfied with my faith in his son's performance. I'm acceptable. He is my advocate. Amen. So I've been washed and the blood speaks a better word than the blood of Abel that called out for justice. 
This one calls out for reconciliation. The blood of Jesus calls out for peace between me and God. And so he's washed me with his blood. And here the Bible says he sanctified me. The Bible says that uh, Exodus 19.4, God says, you saw what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and called you to myself. What a tremendous verse. In it, God is saying, you saw how I broke your chains and set you free and how I brought you in that that eagle. It's like a picture of grace and how I brought you with my graciousness to my table. I've called you into relationship with me. And in doing so, he's broken the power of rejection and, pur- and, and purposelessness in our lives. Do you see what's going on here? How can we be guilty when the blood speaks of better things? How can we feel like we've got no purpose or that we don't belong when God has broken our chains and brought us right to his table? And beyond that, look at this here. I, w- I want to bring up a picture. It's in Hebrews 2. Maybe I should have preached out of Hebrews. It's in Hebrews and it talks about instruments that were used in the most holy place that God sprinkled or that were sprinkled with blood and once they were sprinkled with blood they were holy and separated and they could only be used to honor God or to glorify God in temple worship and in the same way God sprinkled you so that you would be used for his glory only So he's given you purpose in your life. Your life will bring glory to God. He's sprinkled you so that he can separate you to use you for his glory. You have a particular purpose. You are not common. You are not unclean. You are separated that God might use you for his glory. Amazing. It's amazing. I've been set apart for his glory alone. I'm no longer common. When I couldn't find purpose, purpose found me. Can, can we say amen to that? Well, couldn't I find purpose in life? Couldn't find purpose in life. Purpose found me. God came and separated me that I might have a purpose in this life to give him glory. My life will give him glory. And I want to look at this final word here. It's justified. And I'm going to read out the definitions as they stand in the Greek because they're amazing to me. Okay, so it's to render righteous as one ought to be. To show or exhibit one to be righteous such as he is and wishes himself to be considered. That's interesting. And then verse and three here. To declare, pronounce one to be just, righteous, or such as he ought to be. Okay, so here we are set free from our feelings of unworthiness or oughtness do you ever feel like you're not quite what you should be do you ever feel like you're not you're not quite it you're and maybe your point and maybe your past is the reason why here the bible says that god has broken that by justifying you and what does it mean now let's go let's go into it i am now is what it's saying i am now as i ought to be not through my performance my past but through my position in him That's amazing. He is my standard. He is my standard. He is my righteousness. He has made me as I ought to be. So I don't have to walk around feeling unworthy. I am as I ought to be. Not because of what I've done, but because of what he has done for me. 
And here's the, the, the kicker here, because we know this. We understand the theology. But look at what is missing and what is often missing in our lives. Basically, when you look at the word justified, it means that you are as you wish to be considered. You are. And so many of us, we go, oh, Lord, you know, if only I was good enough to be used by you. If only I was righteous enough to be used by you. If only I was clean enough to be used by you. Oh, God, I'm so entrenched in this, that, and the other. If only I could separate myself to be used by you. Oh, if only, Lord. But my past, I can't get through it. And this is how I feel about myself. And right here in the passage, it's saying, no, it's time to agree with God. It's time to agree with what he's done to free you from your past. You see, he's dealt with your past, but you have to put down your past. He's dealt with your past, but you have to put down the arguments. You have to put down the, 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 the I suppose, appraisals of your own life and begin to appraise your life according to what he's done for you. God's, folks, we've got to get into the theology every now and again because this is bigger than just some help, self-help thing. You need to understand what God has done. You need to grasp what he is doing in order to be truly free. Remember, you are not your father or your mother or your upbringing or your trauma. You are not a victim. You are a new creation. It is time to agree. I am as I wish to be considered. I am it already. I am it already. I'm already righteous. I'm already separated. I'm already holy. I'm already washed. He's, he's for me, arguing my case before the Father. I don't need to get there. I am there. He put me there so I can step out of my past and into my inheritance. I am as I wish to be considered. I can embrace what he has made me. I can love what his hands have remade. I can love myself because I have been greatly loved. I can expect goodness and mercy to follow me all the days of my life. Such were some of you until somebody bought you, washed you, gave you belonging and purpose and made you as you ought to be. Gave you his name and put his spirit in you as a sign of belonging and ownership. Before him you lived as orphans, destitute, without a name, outside of inheritance, living in a wilderness of shame, bound by a mentality shaped by your past. Therefore, if you belong to him, you are a new creation and you will live for him and inherit what he died to give you. Stand in renewal, folks, rather than your past or your behavior. Embrace renewal and you will come into what is yours by birth. Not what came with the first birth, but what came with the new birth. God's answer to your past is renewal. Transformation. Step into what God has for you. And you know what, folks? I actually think embracing what God has done has got a lot to do with your view of yourself. I think that it does. I think we understand God's view of us. But it takes a while for us to accept our acceptance of him, doesn't it? He saves us in an instant. Today, I've taken the reproach of Egypt from you. And yet we spend a lifetime accepting that truth, that we are what he says that we are. Really, renewal means belonging. That's really what it is. That's what circumcision was. It was God saying, I own you, and this is the mark of it. In the old covenant, it was, you know, we know the details. But in the new covenant, he puts his name on you, and he puts his spirit in you. 
the first generation of Israelites could not inherit because they could not embrace their own belonging. He saved me from my chains. He loosed the bonds. He accepts me. He saved me not to abandon me in the desert. He saved me not to leave me shackled to my past, too tied up in what was, to rise up into what he has for me. That's not the gospel. That's not Jesus. That's not the work of grace. He's done something. That's the power of belonging. We are his. He's put his name on us and his spirit in us. And those who come in his name enjoy the favor that he won through his merits. I'm quickly, if I can, I want to practically talk to you about putting your past down as well. I have a few points I think will help. We've kind of handled the theology. I quickly want to talk to you about what you can practically do. In Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14, Paul talks about, I'm actually going to read it. I don't want to paraphrase it. I'm going to read it. And you who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Listen, verse 14, by cancelling the record of debt that, he stood, that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing to the cross. He nailed your past to the cross. So leave it there by faith. Amen. What's that mean? If we're ever going to step into the future in the inheritance that's ours in him, we have to see our past as crucified with him. Okay? That's going to take a little bit of imagination. But we need to change our perspective when it comes to our past, what he's done. We have to see our past nailed to the cross with him. Okay? Because people will try and pin your past back onto you. And you will too. It's the truth. We'll often remind ourselves of what we were and what we've done. When we do that, we take what God has nailed to the cross and we stick it back on ourselves. And we shouldn't do it. And other people can come to us and they can look at our past and they did it to Jesus. Aren't you Joseph's son? You're just from Nazareth. What, what can you do? Don't speak the reproach of Egypt over yourself. Don't let others speak it over you. The grounds for accusation, our performance is nailed to the tree. So see the past, seeing the past the right way is the only way to forget it. Seeing where it is is the only way to forget it. Seeing what's been done to it is the only way to live free of it. We need to embrace renewal. We need to love the renewed version of, of, of us. We need to love the renewed, what God has done in renewing us, the work of grace in our lives. And we need to reset our, expectations, uh, our, our expectations for our future because it's according to his performance, not our own. So we need to see the past the right way, embrace renewal and reset expectations. And finally, I want to end with this. God, Jesus, he dragged you're passed up that hill called Calvary so that you could have a future that is only limited by the love that he has for you. Shall we pray and um, we'll end for tonight. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the work of grace, Lord, for the gospel. It's the gospel, Lord. It's what you have done, what you have done to set us free from, from what we have done, Lord. I, God, I just pray that you would set us free from shame tonight. 
Lord, if we're carrying shame, if we're carrying, Lord, just, oh God, all, you know, guilt, all of that, Lord, I pray you would set us free, Lord, and you have set us free, but help us to, to put it down and trust you, Lord, and walk forward and embrace everything that you have for us. Lord, to help us to take the land, Lord, help us to say yes and not pull our past off the cross and use it as an excuse to not rise up and take our inheritance, Lord. You have a good plan for us. Help us, Lord. I just pray that people would be encouraged tonight by that, Lord. Thank you for your, your, your gospel, Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Um, Thank you for tuning in with us today. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions at all, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website www.corkchurch.com. Again, thank you for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.